Uh, today I want to speak with you for just a moment about being approved to God, being approved to God. Our anchor passage today is a passage that most of you are probably familiar with, especially if you've spent any time in Awana. Is that a Second Timothy chapter two verse fifteen? It says, "Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth." Now, when I was sixteen, like the thing that I was excited about, besides like actually driving and that kind of thing, was something that would help me be able to drive was to get a job. So I wanted to get a job first thing when I turned 16, so I went out. My first job that I got was at an office supply store, and I did just about everything there was to do at that store. I stocked shelves, I was a, cash, a cashier, ran the cash register, did shipping, receiving, just about anything there was to do, I did it while I was there. So I tried to do a good job. I tried to treat the customers right. I tried to have a good relationship with my coworkers. And for a 16-year-old, I felt like I was pretty motivated to be a good employee. But fortunately for me, there was a little bit of extra incentive at the place that I worked. And I don't see this much in places of business or in stores these days. But the store that I worked at had an employee of the month program. All right, so, so your performance was tracked. Uh, management looked at your attendance, your punctuality, uh, how much work you did, uh, how quickly you got it done, you know, how much attention you paid to detail. And customer feedback was, was a big deal as well. If a customer took the time to share their positive experience and they mentioned your name in that story, then you are well on your way to becoming employee of the month. So I wanted my picture on that wall, not so much uh, to be recognized by my coworkers or by other customers or so forth, but I wanted my boss to recognize the good job that I was doing. And there's just something different about being recognized by your boss for the work that you do. And so I knew all the checkpoints. Um, I knew what I needed to do to be employee of the month, what that looked like, what I needed to act like. Now it was up to me to strive to hit that mark and just to be you know, forever immortalized on this wall of fame in the front of an office supply store, right? So um, not, uh, not to brag, but I made it on that wall a couple times. So uh, it's my claim to fame there, I guess. But, uh, but here's, here's the deal. As Christians, uh, we don't have an employee of the month program. Uh, we're not competing against other Christ followers. Jesus actually told Peter in chapter 21 of John for him not to worry about what John was doing, to, uh, to take care of himself, Wanted, you know, worry about his own service uh, to God. But however, I want us to understand today and to make no mistake that our actions matter. Our actions are important. So I want to consider a few passages uh, to kind of get us going down the right path and in the right mindset before we really dig into what Paul is telling Timothy in our anchor passage. So I want to start with Romans chapter 2, verse 5 and 6. It says, But in accordance with your hardness and your impenitent heart, you are treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to each one according to his deeds. Revelation 20, starting with verse 13, says, The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each according to their works. Then death and Hades were cast 
into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. And then we see in Matthew chapter 16, verse 27, For the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he will reward each according to his works. Now it's very clear in Scripture that our actions, our works, have consequences. There's a cause and there's an effect. This kind of action produces this kind of result. And as Christ followers, it's important that we understand the role of our actions and the role of our deeds as they pertain to our relationship with Christ. But first, I want to be perfectly clear. Our actions, our works, our deeds in no way, shape, or form contribute to our salvation. We could never do enough good things to earn our salvation. And in contrast, we could never do enough bad things to lose that salvation once we have it. So we'll be very clear on that before we proceed. A couple of passages uh, just to that point. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast in one of my favorite passages of Romans chapter 8, 37 through 39. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So there are many other passages that can support this, but we're just going to try to keep it simple today. Our works do not save us. We cannot earn our salvation, nor can we lose it. So why do our works even matter in the first place? Now, this is actually a very common question, especially by those who believe in a works-based salvation. You know, I've been told on more than one occasion, you know, you once saved, always saved people. You just believe that you can be saved and do whatever you want to do. And now, while there may be some that have that mindset, that is definitely not a biblical mindset. Our faith and our works are inseparable. I'll say that again. Our faith and our works are inseparable. Let's look at the book of James. James chapter 2, starting with verse 14. It says, What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Sobering words, right? If I'm being honest, to me, this is one of the most convicting passages in the Bible. When I read this, I always have like a gut check, right? I have to ask myself, do my actions show others the new life that is within me? Can I prove to others through my actions that I am a Christian and not just 
by my words. You know, I always go back to those, uh, you know, kidnapping movies. I don't know, maybe that's weird, but that's just where my brain goes to. Uh, you ever watch those movies where there's like a high profile person that's kidnapped and they're held for this like crazy amount of ransom money? What's the first thing that the negotiator asks the kidnapper for? They ask them for proof of life. They ask them for proof of life. They want to talk to the person, see the person in a video, maybe with like today's newspaper or something like that. Something to prove that they are actually still alive in real time. You know, our good deeds, our service uh, accomplishes something similar. Our works are our proof of life. They give evidence to those around us that we are alive in Christ. We look at Romans 6, verse 13. It says, And do not present yourself members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. This word here for instruments could also be translated as weapon. You know, a weapon makes an impact. A weapon destroys. We can either go to battle against God with our actions, and we all know how that turns out, or we can go to battle against Satan, knowing that the war has already been won by Jesus Christ. When James goes on to say in verse 18, he says, But someone will say, You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my, my faith by my works. You know, James essentially asks a question here. How can people see your faith without your works? And the answer is they can't. Now, we could spend all day digging into James and the biblical correlation between our works and our salvation. Uh, But just let me say this and we'll move on to our text from Paul and what he has to say to Timothy about works. Um, Our works, our deeds, our service, they are not prerequisites to salvation. That's not a hill that we could, I mean, that's a hill that we could never climb. Right? We could never make it up that hill. However, our actions are important. They matter. Our service, our good deeds, our obedience to Christ, they are proof of the Spirit that is within us, and they are a natural response to our redemption. If they are missing, You should be concerned. Faith without works is dead. Okay, with that mindset kind of established and we're going down that path, uh, let's get into what Paul tells us in our text. And as I said before, God didn't establish like a Christian of the month program, but Paul does lay out some qualifications to be deemed as an approved worker of Christ. So I don't know about you, but that seems like it would be a lot better than just employee of the month at an office supply store, right? A lot better situation there. I would, that's a wall that I really want my picture on, where it's well done, thy good and faithful servant is plastered across the top, right? That's, that's what we're looking for. Uh, but just a little, a little side thought too before I continue. If God did have, and this is something I ask myself often, if God did have a Christian of the month program, um, would I even be in the running? And so there's something to kind of, not, again, not to compare yourself to others and what they're doing, uh, but am I doing all I can 
to serve Christ. So, uh, but back to our anchor pack, our anchor passage. Always going back to the context, making sure we understand what we're talking about. Uh, here, Paul is instructing Timothy on how to deal with some issues in the church, issues that all churches uh, have dealt with or will deal with in the future. They're focusing on opposition from outside of the church, and they also have some issues inside of the church for those that are trying to teach some things that are deviating from the truth that Paul had taught them. And so after some time of encouragement uh, from Paul and a reminder to Timothy for them to stay strong in the faith, he gives Timothy some practical advice as to how to ensure that his labor is not in vain and that all the work he's poured in to his service for Christ was not declared void because he let this sin-filled world derail it. So as Timothy is a fellow laborer of the gospel for the gospel, Paul lays out three steps, three steps to help him ensure he is considered an approved workman. Here in chapter two, the first one is shunning or to discard, to throw away, similar to fleeing, but uh, more of an offensive stance than a defensive stance. Kind of like think surgically removing. We'll get into that in a moment. Sanitizing. Uh, we're pretty familiar with that these days, uh, removing contaminants to, uh, to purify. And lastly is to separate or separating to remove from the vicinity to place some distance between you and whatever that thing is. So Paul starts off saying, be diligent, pay attention, and focus on being a good worker for Christ. And here are some things that will help you along the way. So he starts off with shunning. So we'll look at chapter, chapter 2, verse 16 and 17. It says, But shun profane and idle babblings, for they will increase to more ungodliness, and their message will spread like cancer. Uh, when was the last time you participated in a good shunning? Right, that's not something we usually, uh, we don't even use that word typically, uh, much less participate in any kind of uh, activity like that. You know, our society uh, is enamored with occlusion and tolerance, uh, so shun, for us, shunning would probably be uh, considered a, a hate crime, unless you're part of cancel culture and somehow that makes it okay. But that's a whole different conversation for, uh, for another day. But, you know, Paul doesn't mince words here. He's pretty direct, and he even calls out some of the perpetrators by name. If we look in verse 17, it says, Hymenaeus and Philetus are of this sort, who have strayed concerning the truth, saying that the resurrection has already passed, and they overthrow the faith of some. I don't know about you, but it is mortifying to be called out in front of your peers. Whether it be at a job, a school, or heaven forbid, at church. But this isn't the first time that Paul has called someone out publicly and not for, you know, no good reason. He has a good reason here. This is an indicator of how serious, how serious the offense of compromising the gospel is. Paul doesn't care who you are or where you're at. He's calling you out. In Galatians 2, Paul calls out none other than the apostle Peter. Although not necessarily intentionally, like in the case of Hymenaeus and Philetus, Peter was compromising the gospel, though, by his, his, excuse me, his hypocritical actions Uh, He preached this inclusive gospel that was available to everyone, but then his actions contradicted that, and his actions uh, excluded those that weren't like him. And, you know, Paul had no patience 
for this uh, kind of attack on the gospel, no matter if it was intentional or unintentional. You know, as Christ followers, we would do well to follow his example. And now I'm, I'm not saying, like, go out and shun everyone you don't agree with or that's of a different denomination or something like that or publicly like call someone out because you don't see eye to eye with them. That's not what I'm saying at all. But we must understand the importance of standing up for the truth of the word, even if it's difficult, especially when it's difficult. You know, in this example, Peter made amends. He wasn't shunned. And, but I draw your attention to this situation because Paul is defining an approved worker as one who stands up for the gospel. You know, with Peter, Paul was approaching a brother in Christ. Uh, correction was made. The gospel was retor- restored. Uh, in the case of Hymenaeus and Philetus, uh, they were intentionally teaching doctrines that were contradictory to the gospel. Uh, the scriptures give us no indication that they were ever repentant. And uh, to make matters worse, they were you know, leading others astray with their profane and idle babblings, as Paul called it. You know, and where Paul, you know, Paul refers to their actions as like a cancer. Now, how, how do we approach cancer? You know, we take aggressive means to eradicate it. Surgical removal, chemical removal, regardless, the offending tissue is aggressively repelled or, in effect, shunned or cast out. You know, Paul speaks of others that had perverted the gospel, and this is what he had to say about them in Galatians chapter 1, verse 6. I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another. But there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. Paul is so serious about this that he says it twice just in case you missed it the first time. The integrity of the gospel is a very important issue. It should be a very important issue to us, one that we shouldn't hesitate to fight for. Now, if we go back to our text, Paul ends this first instruction with an encouraging statement to Timothy and a reminder. In verse 19, it says, Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands, having this seal. The Lord knows those who are his, and let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Now, Paul tells Timothy not to be uh, discouraged about these things, reminds him that God is in control, even when it feels like he's not. His promises still stand. God knows who belongs to him and who doesn't. So don't get too caught up in the drama of everything. Remove the tumor, the tumor get the patient sewed up, and move on. All right? If they claim to be of Christ, hold them to it. Hold them to the standard of the gospel. As approved workmen... That is our responsibility. Now the next step Paul points out is something we are all too familiar with these days, sanitizing. Paul was keenly aware of the environment at the church of Ephesus. In verse 20 and 21 he says, But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honor and some for dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. 
You know, before COVID, uh, many contaminants went unnoticed. Uh, sure, we washed our hands, uh, we covered our mouths when we coughed or sneezed, most of us, uh, but we were somewhat ignorant to all of the possible avenues of infection. You know, and, and often, I think in churches, we're kind of the same way. We assume that uh, in the church, everything is clean, everything is pure, everyone has pure intentions and godly motives. Uh, but when they turn out to be the opposite of that, we're devastated, right? We're crushed. Some are damaged beyond repair. I've talked to many professed Christians that have stopped going to church or having anything to do with God at all because they heard, saw, or experienced something that they never thought they would in the house of God. Let me let you in on a little secret. The church is full of sinners, right? We are all sinners in need of grace through Jesus Christ. And Paul tells Timothy right from the start, know there are unclean vessels among you. Don't be surprised. But also remember that God is a God of forgiveness. If these vessels repent, seek cleanliness, seek holiness instead of the filth of sin, then they're one step closer to being that approved workman. If we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1, it says, Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. And 1 John 1, 9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In order to be an approved workman, we must be clean, we must sanitize, but the only way we can truly be clean is through the blood of Christ. We look at Isaiah 1.8, it says, Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord, though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow, though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Now the last step that Paul talks about here in this passage is separating or to separate um, now in in my home we have chores and our chores are typically assigned to particular people in our home um, like the dishes are my daughter's job the trash taking out the trash is my son's job uh, but there's one chore that we kind of share as a household and it is my apps I hate it this chore is the most awful thing, and it's laundry. I cannot, I cannot stand doing laundry. And now, in, in, I would rather scrub toilets, like, all day than do laundry. I'm, I'm serious. So, but, you know, in the perfect home, you would have, like, all of the right color and the right texture and the right, like, way. They're, they're all divided out in these little baskets. You just walk in there and, like, dump them in the water. It's all nice. No. In our house, we have like this giant landfill of laundry that we have to like bulldoze into certain, uh, you know, certain spots so, so we can get them uh, washed properly, right? That whole separation process is just the first thing that I don't like about laundry, but it's awful, right? But I understand why we do it. And you will too if you've ever dropped a red sock in a load of white laundry, unless you just really love pink, and that's cool, but most people don't like it that much. 
So, you know, I understand the importance. And that's, uh, you know, what, what Paul talks about here in uh, verse 22 and 23. It says, flee also youthful lust, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. But avoid foolish and ignorant disputes, knowing that they generate strife. He says to flee. To avoid, separate yourselves from the sins of the past, the sins of the present, the temptations to sin, right? I always tell our students, it is so much easier to avoid temptation than to resist temptation, right? But I understand that there are some circumstances that we can get into that are not exactly planned and we find ourselves uh, in a tough spot. I wanna, I wanna, do you remember a guy named Joseph? Right, the coat of many colors guy you've already learned about uh, when you were a child. That's a long story, but I'll just kind of catch you up to speed. He was sold into slavery in Egypt, and through God's provision, he became a great leader in that nation. However, one day he found himself in a compromising situation uh, to no fault of his own. So, so Joseph had become a leader over the, uh, the captain of Pharaoh's guard. His name was Potiphar, and Joseph was a leader over his household. He was in charge of everything within Potiphar's household. Unfortunately for Joseph, Potiphar's wife had taken an unhealthy liking to him. All right, so after multiple advances made by Potiphar's wife and multiple rejections by Joseph, uh, we see what unfolded here in Genesis chapter 39. Starting in verse 11, it says, But it happened about this time when Joseph went into the house to do his work, and none of the men in the house were inside, that she caught him by his garment, saying, Lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and ran outside. And so it was, when she saw that he had left his garment in her hand, and fled outside, that she called to the men of the house and spoke to them, saying, See, he has brought into us a Hebrew to mock us. He came in to me to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice. And it happened when he heard that I lifted my voice and cried out that he left his garment with me and fled and went outside. Now you notice what Joseph did here. He fled. He ran Right? He shed everything that was holding him back, and he cut out of there as quickly as he could. He didn't hang around and try to negotiate. He didn't say, you know, we really shouldn't be doing this. Uh, you know, this probably isn't a good idea, you know, but I don't really want to make a scene. That's not how he approached that situation, right? He separated himself from evil. But notice what happened after this. You know, Potiphar's wife starts screaming, the guards come in, she's got Joseph's robe in her hand, and she proceeds to tell them how Joseph forced himself upon her, and that he's made a mockery of Egypt, and so forth and so on, of course all lies, but look what verse 20 says. Then Joseph's master took him and put him in the prison, a place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in the prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy, and he gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. Joseph did the right thing, okay? He followed God's commandments. He stood up for what he knew was right, but he still landed in prison. He was still punished. He was still put into a situation that for us, many of us would be asking, why, God, why did you let this happen to me? What did I do to deserve this? But that's not how Joseph was, why do you think I brought this to your attention? Well, I'm glad you asked. 
How many, consider this, how many of us are willing to separate ourselves from evil, even if it makes us an outcast, even if it costs us something, even if it costs us everything, as it did Joseph. Now we can see in verse 21, though, that Joseph continued to serve God, even in these unfortunate circumstances, and God blessed him. He fled youthful lusts and pursued righteousness. But what I don't want you to overlook this morning is the pursue righteousness part. Understand that our Christian walk is not just about avoiding bad things. It's about pursuing good things, pursuing godly things. We look in Philippians chapter 4, starting with verse 8, it says, Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. Now Paul ends this passage to Timothy with this. Verse 24 says, A servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient, in humility, correcting those who are in opposition, if God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. Now, an approved worker of the Lord, as an approved worker of the Lord, we are charged with certain responsibilities. Some of these responsibilities are tough. Some are uncomfortable. Some may even be painful. But we are charged in serving others just as Christ served us. This means loving those that we don't agree with. This means loving those that are in opposition to the gospel. This love is shown through our patience and our willingness to guide and ultimately point them to Christ. You know, it's their decision ultimately uh, as to whether they are to cling to Jesus or accept Christ or and, and resist the devil or to go the other direction. But as approved workers, we are to do everything we have in our power uh, to point them to Christ and to help them to make that right decision. Now today I hope each one of you have made that choice to follow Christ. And if you haven't, I'd love to talk to you about it. I'd love to, uh, to introduce you to Jesus so you can make that right before you leave this place today. But I want you to understand you can't earn God's love. There's nothing you can do to earn God's love. But he sent his son to die for you even in spite of that even in spite of our failures and our just inability to, uh, to add up to who God is, right? But through the gospel, we experience this changing power. When we accept Christ, when we give our life over to Christ and believe what he's done for us on the cross, there is a change inside of us, and that should prompt us to serve Others, ultimately the blood of Jesus Christ is the only thing that will allow us to stand righteous before our creator. However, I don't want us to forget today that our natural response 
the thing that makes sense, our reasonable service, as we've talked about before, our natural response to this undeserved redemption is our service to our Savior. Let's pray.